Uh, the rest of us who are here in the service, kids may be dismissed, but the rest of us here in the service, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13. Well, not last number of weeks, we have been through a series about the portraits of Jesus. Uh, it ends kind of abruptly, and then Jesus moves directly into a sermon of parables and uh, a string of parables, and he interposes some explanation privately to his disciples. And uh, this is going to be like a new kind of series that we're going to continue with, uh, these sermon in parables over the next uh, few Sundays. And so I'm going to read uh, verse 1 um, all the way through verse 23, although that's not going to be, all, that's not, I'm not going to cover all of those verses, but I, you need to see some of the context as we move through this. And so if you follow along with me, that's on page um, 924 in the Red Pew Bible, I invite you to follow along and, uh, or follow along in your Bible that you've brought with you. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? Uh, and he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been made known. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will give an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, it in the case of the prophecy of Isaiah is filled, fulfilled, saying, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, <coughs> excuse me, 
and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, <coughs> excuse me, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Five years ago, Abby and I were emotionally spent. Our church was going through a very difficult time. I would call it trauma in some ways. And many were feeling it as well as Abby and I were feeling it. In those days, the board of directors had to take a very difficult decision, decisive decision to enact church discipline. It was very taxing on everyone. But way prior to that occurrence, Abby and I had booked a trip to southern Ontario to visit family, and I was gonna, we were going to participate in a, like a pastor's type of conference, and it coincided nearly with uh, some of the difficulty we were experiencing in our church family, and I thought seriously about canceling that trip. And I consulted with the elders, and uh, they recommended that we actually go really thankful that we did. We found ourselves singing with about 500 other brothers and sisters, and Abby and I were, were weeping as we were singing. Uh, our hearts were overwhelmed with sorrow at that time, and it was this parable that was taught during that conference. Uh, it really moved within our hearts. Uh, a parable is not something that is typically easy to be understood. That's why Jesus said, if you have ears to hear. And Abby and I had ears to hear at that time because we were going through some very difficult waters. We were needy. We were hungry for the word. We wanted the encouragement that the word would bring. Uh, Kevin DeYoung was the speaker at that time, and he asked what is the cause of opposition to the preached word? Jesus had been preaching, teaching the word, and he was encountering opposition. And then he changes his style and starts to teach in parables. Sometimes people try to romanticize Jesus' teaching style as if, you know, Jesus put the cookies on the, easy, like on the bottom shelf. That the parables were like little, little easy stories to hear. They're pleasant stories to hear. But not everyone understood what Jesus was saying. In fact, Jesus deliberately used parables in order to cause people to not understand. There were those who were among his audience who hated him and deliberately could not hear. They could not hear because of their heart's disposition. Mark Twain famously said, 
It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I understand. Great crowds will gather for a spectacle. And so Jesus, we see, gets into a boat so that he might be able to better communicate. He wouldn't be pressed upon. <clears throat> he put himself out a little distance from shore. But again, not everyone who was gathering there were really interested and nor were they equally desiring to receive what Jesus had to say. And so verse 9, we read Jesus' admonition, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus in this statement makes a distinction between different kinds of hearers. If there is any hardness of heart to the preaching of God's word, Jesus tells us in this text, it's not the fault of the seed. It's the fault of the soils. And so in this text, we have four kinds of responses to the word of God. And so we're going to look at these four different soils, and I'm going to alternate between the simple presentation of the parable in the first eight verses and Jesus' explanation of the parable, which comes later down in verse 19 towards the end of that text that we read. And so the first soil we find is that there is a soil that, a kind of heart that is indifferent. It's seed that gets thrown along the path. Now verse 4, we read this, and as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And then dropping down to verse 19, we see, And when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. The soil is stiff, it's dry, it's like, it's like pavement. It's along the footpath. Footpaths are not designed to receive feed, uh, seed. They're designed to receive feet. And in Jesus' explanation, he said that nevertheless, this seed is kind of, he describes it parabolically. He says it was sown in the heart. Now that phrase is a little bit um, paradoxical because given how he described, you know, it just kind of bouncing, it doesn't seem like it's going in, it's just bouncing. But it's, it's hard for us to understand, well, and with respect to what Jesus is saying, is that the word of truth is sown in certain kinds of hearts that are far from receiving, actually, the word as it's presented. It's, their hearts are much more like a stiff baseball glove. You know, the ball's coming down, you haven't been able to really work your glove real well, and it's coming down, coming down, coming down, and you try to catch that ball, and it just hits the inner palm and bump bounces out, because you can't, can't get that, that stiff leather to, to pull together. But that's not the fault of the, the ball. It's the glove. And the seed that falls on the beaten earth does not penetrate, it bounces. And Jesus says in verse 19, it's because they do not understand. Now, it's not that they can't understand, and they don't have, it's really they don't have a need to receive. They don't see that this is relevant for them. 
They may say, well, this is just a, a great story. Um, it's implausible. Maybe I'm really not interested. It's really wasting my time. I'm not really going to spend much time with it. And in that interim moment, Satan comes along and he takes away the seed. And whenever the scriptures are opened in church, whether it's a Bible study or it's even in your own home with your family, there is always spiritual warfare going on. Satan hates the church. He hates the word. He hates the song. He hates the everything. Satan does whatever he can to disrupt the gathering of God's people who come to hear, to sing, and to pray the word. Satan hates the word. And he knows that if a needy soul actively hears and actually rejoices over the word and earnestly prays the word that the rule of God comes down upon their lives. What might Satan do? Satan might actually even your, use your own expectations to subvert the word of God. You know, the pastor's not preaching the issues that I want to hear. Doesn't he know it's Father's Day for crying out loud? That's not the Bible study I want to go to. I'm not really interested right now. I want something else. James, on the other hand, encourages us to receive with meekness the implanted word. James 1, verse 21. And again, I want to emphasize it's not as if we can't comprehend what Jesus is saying. is that we don't recognize our deep need for it. And it's because we have a lack of meekness. Meekness is a quiet, a gentle, submissive spirit. And meekness is the opposite of hardness. The hardness of the footpath. It is a proud heart that does not receive the word of God. Instead, it is a prideful indifference that says, this isn't really what I need. And that's when the birds come along. The evil one sends his minions. They devour the seed. Now I ask, is there any hope for those who are not meek? Well, I think there is hope for those who are prideful, and it's God's rototiller, trials. Trials are designed to till the heart, to make it soft, so that you are ready to receive the word of God with meekness. Blessed, Jesus said, are the meek. Well, there's another soil here as we move along. In verse 5 through 6, we see the rocky, shallow terrain, soil, or the superficial. Verses 5 through 6, we read, Other seeds fell on rocky ground and where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. We also drop down to verse 20 to 21 to see Jesus's interpretation of his parable. Verse 20 says, and as for that which was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, 
and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now this differs from the hard soil in that it seems to have a little bit more length of time in the soil, but it doesn't stay long. It has a temporary quality to it. It even seems to show some early promise of fruitfulness, but the heart is not properly ready to receive the seed, and it fails to take an active root. And if the Word of God does not penetrate the heart in and spread out within the whole of the heart, it, do, it won't strike deep, and it's going to want a supply of moisture that's necessary for its perseverance. Now, this spring, I planted 100 Norway spruce in my, on my property. At the end of April is when I planted them, and we had a week of rain. I don't know if you remember that. It was like rain after rain after rain. It was the perfect time to plant. I was in the rain planting. And it was all going so well, and then we had a whole month of no rain. It was difficult, though. As you know, Wayne County, it's difficult to find deep, clear of rock soil, right? I, I, I thought I had managed well to do it, and uh, recently I inspected some of our uh, plantings, and I think we might have 60 to 70% succeeding at this point. But even though I wasn't able to go necessarily as deep as I wanted to, I neglected to also consider another issue, to consider the rocks that were actually around the root. It's not just merely what's on the bottom, but what's around the root. And uh, I began as I to inspect, and I, I kind of, it looked like the tree was fine, and I took my fingers and I stroked the, the bristles of those evergreens, and it was a shower of needles coming off. Ah, oh. sadly, we know people like this. And we believe, though, truly, that those who have been born again cannot be unborn again. But you can have an external connection to Jesus and not be truly born again. And in the same way, they can have a resemblance of faith but they don't have true faith. Maybe they enjoy the, the relational love of Christianity. They, they like the warmth that they feel when they come into this room. Maybe they come to a small group Bible study. They hear, but they never put those seeds into action. They never put the, the Word of God into application. And then they're scandalized when persecution comes and, and maybe it's in their home and they get resistance and or maybe it's in their workplace and their school and they just it's not worth all of this effort and when temptation to sin comes they choose pleasure and creature comforts over self-denial you see the good seed needs the whole soil Wholeheartedness is necessary for survival. In another place in John 6, Jesus tells his listeners who have been hearing him gladly teaching, he puts some pretty hard things before them, 
And he tells his listeners that all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And Jesus goes on. And it's a beautiful thing to understand that those who come to Christ will not be cast out. That's a beautiful thing. But then Jesus gives some very frank news to his listeners and says, but there are some of you who do not believe. And it bore itself out, and Jesus was correct. And we read on in chapter 6, and after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, some people have an external connection to Jesus, and there may be some here even this morning who have an external connection to Jesus, and you're thinking about turning away from Christ. Are there rocks within your heart? Have you truly put your faith and trust in him alone? God is not growing superficial grass. He's growing trees. Peter says that the word of God is an incorruptible seed, and it endures forever. And as it endures forever, it fills the heart. And once it's fixed firm within, it's vigorous until the end. Now, if you cut a tree across the center after it's aged for 120 years, you're going to see droughts, you're going to see fires, you're going to see, but you're going to see perseverance throughout 120 years. God is growing trees with his seeds. There's another type of soil uh, in verse 7 in which uh, he describes seeds falling in thorn-infested soil. And I would describe these as being distracted. Verse 7, verse 7 we read, Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Uh, Verse 22 As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know, I think it's more obvious to us that persecution is perhaps a more uh, more evidentiary enemy for us. Persecution is right in front of us. We see it. But there is another kind of enemy that this soil introduces to us, which is less obvious and more subtle. It is prosperity. And there is a progression, as it were, a kind of a lengthening out. Some of these seeds are are, are getting, they're enduring a little bit longer. So the first seed bounces, the second seed kind of goes in, but there's rocks. This one probably get some roots going, but then there's other thorns that are choking. And Jesus interprets these for us so that we don't miss the point. He says, look, these are the cares of the world. These are the deceitfulness of riches. And this is one of the greatest threats to the spiritual vitality of the church. And I want to ask you to carefully examine your hearts. And ask yourself this question. Has the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness 
sapped our lives of spiritual vitality. Life is busy on its own without complicating our lives even more with more stuff. Think about what you have in your day. My, usual, my day usually starts at 6 a.m., but I was weeping in my heart the other day when I heard a family in our congregation tell us that they, he leaves home at around 5 o'clock and she gets kids up to the bus and she leaves around 6 and then a trusted neighbor makes sure those kids gets on the bus by 7 and I thought to myself wow even though I'm a homeschool family I am maybe somewhat out of touch with how complicated our lives are I know we all have work obligations there's doctor's visits there's the dog needs its shots You've got to go quote jobs, and you've got to deal with a headache of running a small business. The water heater goes. You haven't done your taxes yet. Your car needs repaired. Your checking account hasn't been balanced for three months. Emails, projects. You promised your neighbor you'd come over and help them with their leaky faucet. You're shuttling your teens to work. And it goes on and on and on. I think it's not... I think we all know that we live a frenetic and sometimes we can live a distracted life. Kevin DeYoung famously said this, and I agree with him in this, that busyness kills more Christians than bullets do. And most of our busyness is relegated or related to stuff. We get a boat, we get a gun, we get a house, we get another house, we get another car, we get a car, we can't keep up, we got five cars, we got four cars, and no one has five cars here, I hope. I have four cars that I have to maintain to get kids to work. And it's not that having stuff is wrong necessarily, but it's that it can and often does choke out our love for Christ. There are weeds that come with stuff. Weeds. Anxiety and deceit. You know, anxiety is that constant moving of your mind to try to solve problems that you weren't meant to solve. I have to solve this problem. I have to solve this problem. And a lot of our problems do revolve around our family's finances. And if we think that if we just had a little bit more, it would relieve the anxiety. But beware, riches are deceitful. Jesus says it. Because they promise us security, but they lie. Riches promise us peace, but they lie. Only God can give you those things. But there is a fourth soil in this text that's receptive. It is the good, tender soil. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. 
And then we drop down to verse 23, we see Jesus' interpretation. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Now, in verse 23, Jesus gives us two characteristics of this good soil. One, it comprehends, it understands. And then second, it bears fruit. Now, understanding is not mere intellectual grasp of the truth. Rather, it is a kind of understanding that by faith changes one's lifestyle to follow exactly what Jesus has asked of them. It's, it's, it's an understanding that says, Jesus has the wisdom I don't have, I'm listening, and I'm doing. And that's where you see maturing and character development, obedience and growth. You see, everything hangs on this receptivity of heart. And Jesus is simply pointing out that the Word of God will yield fruit if we accept it. It will yield fruit if we accept it. I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus is not doing something here that we tend to go to when we think about hearing and receiving. Jesus is not giving us three ways to listen to a sermon or five ways to apply the sermon. Jesus is only showing us what happens when you actually hear. There were some who were receiving the word of God in his preaching, and they were changing. They were turning. They were, their hearts were opened. And, but then there were others who were cold and hard, and they stood at a distance. The word of sowed upon them. Just as a way of reminder, the first soil did not receive the word, though it heard it. And the second received it with joy, but under persecution it let it go. The third received it with only one hand because the other hand was busy. And the fourth soil received the seed with both hands. And so Jesus is clearly teaching us a better way to receive God's word. How do we receive it with two hands? It's, it's simple. It's by faith. It's repenting of our own wisdom. We, we don't have the wisdom. That I got to turn. And it's loving to obey. You know, sometimes it's objected that no one is pure and no one is free of thorns, and that's, that's a good objection, and I understand it. And I think it's important for us to hear that Jesus is not demanding perfection. But what he's trying to help us to understand is that why is it that some seeds grow and other seeds don't? It's not the fault of the seed responsiveness to the Word of God brings a fruitfulness that will give a, a, a contrastive view. Some will, it'll be like 180 degrees. 
They changed like hundredfold. There were some that maybe it, it, the present, they presented themselves in a way that it's harder to see the changes, but sometimes it'll be that 60-fold. But there will be definitely change that will be observed. There'll be 30-fold change. And that's actually an encouragement to us because that means that to whatever degree we respond to God's word, the word will activate and grow. That's encouraging. See, those who respond to the Son of God, they gather, they come, they want the Bible. They don't care if the pastor's gone long. They want more. They want the Word. They want it so much, they read it through the week. See, the word bear, bear, like bear fruit, in the original language is a word, the Greek word that's translated in other contexts as do or make. Doing is very important within Matthew's gospel. For example, back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew highlighted these in Jesus' teaching. In Matthew 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven, but only the person who is doing or bearing out, it's the same word, the will of my Father. Matthew 7, verse 24 and 26, everyone who hears the, these my words and is doing or bearing them is a wise person. And in chapter 12, he says, everyone who does or bears out the will of my Father in heaven is my father and sister and mother. I think it's very easy for us to hear these kinds of instructions and hear instead something like this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven, but only the person who is going to church. Or whoever is serving in the nursery is my brother and sister and mother. Well, I suppose these are helpful for the church ministry and family, it would be better instead that we allow our hearts to hear something like this. Whoever is willing to help wherever it's needed is my brother and sister and mother. Everyone who hears these my words and is learning how to be a peacemaker and making peace is my brother and sister and mother. Everyone who hears these words about forgiveness and is forgiving others as you have been forgiven is like a wise person. Now, what is the source for all of this doing and bearing out? It's the good seed. It's the good seed. A person who receives this instruction 
with the intention of doing it will reap hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. It will be way better than you think. Hearing comes first. We read that in Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. And then understanding comes second. You have to hear it, process it, don't resist it, receive it, and then doing comes naturally. Doing and bearing fruit comes naturally. See, as the Spirit grows the heart, the seed, there will be a harvest. And so I want us to just take this simple message, apply it to our own hearts, and I want us to consider Jesus' own big idea here this morning, which is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's close in prayer.